0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for a discussion about a psychological problem that we all experience to some degree, obsessive and compulsive disorder or OCD, as it is also called. Now, this is an anxiety disorder where people have unwanted thoughts or feelings or sensations or ideas that are called obsessions or behavior, and that make them feel driven to do something, which is actually what's called the compuls- compulsions. So what often happens is that a person will have to carry out a behavior or a ritual uh, to get rid of an obsessive thought that they don't want to have, and this obsessive ritual keeps that anxiety alive. So for example, most of us probably experience that we're standing outside of our door and wondering, or feeling a little unsure, if did I shut off the stove or the coffee pot, and That might even lead to that I that I have a catastrophic thinking about maybe seeing my children getting burned down in the house. And so what we might do then is we go back to the stove and check if you turned it off. Now, of course, this checking is going to give you some relief about knowing that your house is not going to burn down. But then when you go back outside and every time you stand outside that door, this feeling of, of uncertainty comes back. So this is what uh, we call obsessive-compulsive type of behavior. And today we're going to learn about what it is, how common it is. Um, We're going to learn about how it can be approached from an ACT perspective. And remember, ACT is about accept, uh, choose, and take action. And we're going to see some examples of how, how ACT approaches and works with with this type of disorder So we have an, Our expert today Dr. Ma- Michael Tuwik He is an associate professor At the Department of Psychology At uh, Utah State uh, University You can read more about Mike On his website And also about um, his book About anxiety and depression uh, at, By clicking on his name on today's program on webtalkradio.net. So welcome, Mike.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: I'm interested, Mike, to know how you got interested in obsessive and compulsive disorders.
2: Well, I didn't choose to start working in this area uh, per se. Uh, when I was getting my master's program, my advisor worked in, uh, on trichotillomania, which is compulsive hair pulling, which is sort of a, a sister disorder to OCD, and that was sort of my start, which then led me into working with uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder.
1: So, so tell us about this hair pulling. What, in what way is that similar? Well,
2: both OCD and TRIC, and actually a, a few other disorders, have this urge or a feeling, but it can also sort of be a, a string of thoughts that precedes an action and then, when you do that thing, it makes that urge or feeling go away.
1: Okay, and and the and so um, is that the same thing about like standing outside the door and like in the example I gave?
2: Well, the, yeah, the example you gave is a is a fairly common one of OCD, where, where the you know you step out the door and the your mind starts going about you know did I do these things and it grows and grows and the fears build and then. If you just go back and check, the anxiety goes away.
1: Yeah, but that sounds sort of logical. I mean, wouldn't it be natural that you do go back and check?
2: Well, we all, there's actually really neat research uh, showing we all have obsessive-like thoughts. Uh, I've never seen the study saying we all do compulsions, but I'm willing to bet that's true. We just don't do it in the way that that people with obsessive-compulsive disorder do it.
1: Okay, so maybe this is a good time. Maybe you could define what, What is OCD and and how, uh, when does it actually become a disorder from just sort of normal checking?
2: Well, there's, okay, so for OCD, there's three parts, right? The obsessions you talked about, which are the unwanted urges, impulse, thoughts, feelings that are there. There's the compulsion. It's the thing you do to make that urge feeling uh, less or go away. And that doing one or both of these things causes a problem in your life.
1: Okay. Okay, so what what when does it what, what would it be obsession? I mean, would that be just having thoughts but then not actually doing things? Or what's the what's the difference between an obsession and a compulsion? Compuls- well,
2: I, the difference between the obsession and the compulsion is uh the obsession is sort of the thing that shows up first and the compulsion is the thing you do to make it go away. Okay. One of the questions I think you're asking is you know when is it disordered and yeah. I, I think that's when it gets in the way of your life Cause okay. again we all have worries we all check things but we don't do it at that intensity or frequency that it would be disordered
1: okay so it, you mean you're saying that it would be a it's not really a problem unless it it starts getting into the for example if I check once or twice but if I check 50 times it may make me me like for work is mm-hmm. that, Mm -hmm.
2: I think that's a a perfect description. And the same is true on the obsession end, where, you know, you and I might have a a thought about something we're concerned about, but it doesn't hit us so strongly and and be so hard. So it's really kind of easy to let go. People with OCD, it just shows up as the obsession shows up. as so big that that alone can be hard to live with.
1: But Mike, if. I, I'm assuming that most people know that the house is not going to burn down, or it's not, anyway, very likely that these things happen. So, why, how does it get to be so difficult for people?
2: That's a very good question. I think, at sort of a factual level, uh, most of the people with OCD can tell you that it's not going to happen, the chances are super low. But the thing they'd say is there's so much distress if I don't give in to it. That's really hard for me to go on about my, today, my day. So I think it's the distress and the anxiety that's tied with the thought. That's the issue.
1: Okay, so you mean they, first they get the uh, the idea, and then they start feeling very stressed about it. Hmm. Yes, they do. Okay. Now, is there uh, would there be a difference if, between the behavior or because sometimes I remember that you remember like the kids uh, might say prayers. Uh, would that be considered a behavior even though they're doing it in their head? Oh,
2: yes, absolutely. And that's a really interesting point and one that we think about a lot in, in, as we research OCD. A compulsion can be something you do, like washing your hands, but it can also be a thing you think or um, other kind of like ritualized thing you'll do in your head. So a lot of us call, whether it be a, an overt behavior or something you do in your head, we call them both compulsions.
1: Okay. Okay. So um, give me some examples of um, of some behavior like that that you thought was interesting.
2: That I thought was interesting. Well, the ones I find the most interesting are sort of uh, the sort of magical thing. Like, like a client I saw a long time ago, she... Uh, was religious and was afraid of doing something sexually immoral. So she really worried about when I took a shower, right, she'd be naked in the shower and the water would go over her. And now that water has been contaminated in a sexual way and has gone into the the water system is now going to touch other people and she doesn't have their consent. That I find really amazing what our minds can do.
1: Yeah, that reminds me, actually, I, I, I had a patient as well, um, talking about this sexuality, and he was a taxi driver, and he was afraid that he might have sex with a female passenger, and so he his ritual was that he had to keep time, he, keep track of time, because if, if like two minutes disappeared, and he had a female passenger, he could have had sex with her. So he would have to go in then and call his wife and ask her for forgiveness. Um, and I was thinking, is sex, is that something that's uh, common because it's a forbidden?
2: Well, there's a couple areas of OCD where the obsessions are, certain types of obsessions are more common. So things with cleanliness and germs mm-hmm. are pretty common Uh, orderliness is pretty common and then moral things Mm -hmm. are awfully common and so moral can be tied to religion but uh, moral can just be kind of the way we are raised or the societies we live in there's a lot of struggle with moral issues too
1: Uh uh-huh well so would you say okay so moral and cleanliness and what was the third thing you said I said
2: orderliness Mm -hmm. yeah
1: would there be is there I mean, is there any um, biological reason for that? Like, for example, that it may have relevancy to be clean or orderly?
2: Well, you know, in some ways I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that the certain types of obsessions uh, and compulsions that show up, uh, like the rate of OCDs, the same across the globe. But the type that shows up is different in different communities, so I don't know if that's a biological thing in that community or a community thing.
1: Can you give some examples of how they would be different?
2: So in in countries where like sanitation and germs are a risk, you know, uh, they'll have greater concerns with contamination and more highly religious issues. Then it'll start becoming more about uh, moral things. Um, uh And I'm just thinking like the the orderliness and like the Jewish population, that will be one where orderliness will be a likely concern and keeping sort of food separated and safe and making sure things don't cross and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the food doesn't cross in the wrong way. That'll show up more often there.
1: Uh, So that's an interesting question. So when there's uh, when things are a little charged around a certain issue, then it's more likely to be an obsession.
2: Well, I, yes, I think at some level you have to have learned it's something to even be concerned about. Yeah. I mean, some, sometimes your parents never brought it up, but uh, often there's somewhere in your community you've learned to be concerned about this.
1: Okay. Okay. So uh, you mentioned so those would be the types of behaviors. What about thoughts? Is that the uh, what would be the most common types of obsessive thoughts? Well,
2: so there, it's really interesting, is the obsessions and compulsions are always tied in a logical way. So, uh, the germ and the cleanliness—that's usually a fear of contaminating myself or my family. That's the, what I hear a lot. Uh, the the orderliness—that one often comes with. I feel uncomfortable if things aren't organized, so it's more of an urge. And then the moral ones are usually tied to, uh, like this guy's worried what his wife will will think of him, or um, that I won't make it onto the, you know, the. To heaven or whatever, you know, belief I have, that will you know not turn out the way I want it to.
1: Okay, okay. So, so Michael, tell me how how does an act therapist approach OCD?
2: Well, what I usually say is, the compulsions are somewhat easy, right? Because the compulsions, we just need to change the way, change what you do in that situation. And I think most clients know how to not wash or how to uh, step on a crack or, or how to walk into a certain, you know, walk into a church. They just don't know what to do with the thoughts and feelings and emotions that come along.
1: Mm-hmm. So so how would an act therapist approach that?
2: So then what we work on with the clients and what we spend a lot of time on Is how to experience the obsessions Mm -hmm. like when that unwanted thought shows up, we help them find different ways to interact with it. And I think at the core is this, this idea of willingness, Mm -hmm. which is allowing it to be there. And then this idea of what we enact say diffusion, which is just seeing that thought as a thought. We spend a lot of time teaching those concepts.
1: Okay, so if I understand what you're saying. um, So if we think of act as accept, choose, take action. So accept, would that be the willingness to have this unwanted thought or feeling?
2: That would be. Um, And most clients know they need to do that. So the, the ideas of seeing thoughts as just words in my head. Uh, emotions is just like a thing my body's doing um, practicing allowing it to happen being present with it they know they should be should be <laughs> accepting but the how to you need a lot of breaking down what that thought is to make it easier for them to allow it to be there
1: okay so if you if, so that would be the accept part that they actually uh, we had a program last week about voices and uh, it was a little similar to that um uh the phenomena of the actual thought uh to make room for that would maybe was that step one to make yourself bigger than than the feeling or the sensation
2: well yeah the I mean the core if the person isn't willing to have that thought there uh the that choose you know which direction do I want to go and 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 following that and the take action part. Um they have to really be willing to let that thing be there and part of it is seeing the thought for what it really is otherwise it's really hard to let it be there.
1: Yeah, okay, you know, Mike, we haven't really talked about the the word diffusion. That's um mm. maybe you could explain what diffusion means to our li- listeners.
2: Sure. Well, um whenever we have a thought, it not whenever. Most of the times when thoughts show up for us, they show up as sort of real, powerful, meaningful things, and that's fine sometimes because sometimes treating them as real, powerful, meaningful things works out really well in life. But take an obsession, like if I have the thought, if I don't you know, tap my light switch 10 times, the building's going to burn down. That's not a thought worth getting entangled with treating as real. Mm-hmm. Now, someone with OCD treats that as 100% real and meaningful and powerful so this diffusion work is helping them see that as just chatter in their head. They don't have to buy into, follow, do anything with. It's just words in their head.
1: Okay. So, so if an example: if um, you have a very imperative thought that says that you must do this, uh, then the person would look at the thought and um, do what? Yeah. Well,
2: it's more of a it's more of a skill. Like it's something we practice in session, but. With enough practice in session, a little practice out of session, they can see this as, this is just my mind telling me something that I was, you know, I got into, you know, 10 years ago. It's not, it's not real. I don't have to listen to it. It's just mind chatter. And if they can see their obsession is that it's much easier to let it be there.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike. I have a question about that because I, I once had a a patient who was a psychiatrist and uh, she was afraid of getting AIDS. Of and she did deal with drug dealers in in the emergency psychiatric ward, and and there was a a, a chance that she I mean a little chance, but anyway a, a chance that she might be uh, catch some you know the AIDS virus. Right. So I mean I know that some for example, cognitive therapy often well might talk about is this probable or not probable, and so what would what's the difference if I mean if my, there might be a little ounce of truth in this right. thought.
2: Well, from the way I do therapy, it really has to do with what's going to work for the person in their life, and I have no problem with you know asking this MD or the, this this doctor if it's really possible. And if the doctor knows that my chances are so slim that I shouldn't be sweating this, but I still sweat it, like I still am caught up in it, then we'd have to take another route here. So yeah. sometimes sort of the, the factual knowledge is not sufficient for some people.
1: So, for example, for my patient, what? how could you help her with diffusion? If, Well,
2: um... what I would probably work on with this client is... <clears throat> Doing what's going to work for her or him or her in life. And and it's going to be walking into this situation where there is there is this possibility. But if she, is so he or she?
1: It's a she, she.
2: Okay. You know, if she really values this work and working with these patients, helping her find sort of meaning and a reason that's worth having this thought, seeing this thought a little more lightly, and then making room for it. Mm-hmm you know so that she can go about her job
1: okay so the actual word defuse would be um uh creating a little distance between you and the thought so you are not the thought but you see the thought is that
2: that's a that's a big part of it but also i think recognizing that this is just what your mind's going to do like there's like in America, if I said, Mary has a little, the end is lamb. We can't stop that from happening. And that doesn't mean anything of importance in the same way that when she walks into the emergency room, she cannot help but have the thought, I might catch something. And that's okay. That that thought can be there. And we find a way to let that thought be there.
1: Yeah, Mike, I'm curious too, if uh, you said something about um, uh, that sounds like they choose, which would be the do what's meaningful in your life. Is it possible, for example, that if somebody washes their hands, that, uh, that you could even see this thought as a value? There's a value in there that, you know, that people do wash their hands, to, uh, that there is a value so that you see it from that perspective that, um, you know, appreciate that thought, um, that, that this is thought is trying to help me in, that, in a way
2: yeah i mean that's an that's an interesting point like the things that people obsess about are often things they really care about but then it's in following the obsession they get so far from actually being the type of person they want to be so they can kind of see that yeah there's a value under this i'm just enacting it in a very kind of non-functional way
1: okay so for so my example for example if i'm standing outside my door and uh, and I'm scared my kids are going to be locked in and burned to death. Um, so that would be a value that I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of my children. But but if I stand there doing the ritual, I don't get to work. And I oh, in the long run, I actually have trouble valuing my children because I'm spending more time in the ritual. Is that?
2: Exactly. Or, you know, if someone really values – it's a real common – a mother's obsessions will often be around her, her children. Uh, And in following the obsession, they actually end up being sometimes a poorer mom than they would be otherwise. Because I imagine this client wouldn't be just checking the door. They're going to be doing all sorts of other things versus really being there with their kids. And I try to not guilt the client, but in a sort of slow conversation, you can see that if this is what you really care about, you're kind of showing it in a somewhat off manner.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's important. So, So, Mike, tell me. What, what kind of examples would you, when you're handling uh, patients, can you give me some examples of how you work?
2: Well, I, I have, you know, one interesting thing is coming to my mind that I run into a lot is uh, people get caught up in moral thoughts. It's one of the ones that I deal with often out here. And, and this distinction between, you know, when a thought just pops into your head and you have no control over it. Like if I say pineapple, you can't, you know, you don't get to pick whether or not a picture of one pops in your head. It just sort of pops in your head. But whether you sit there and keep thinking about it and ruminating on it and worrying about it, now that I think is a choice. And that's one of the things I spend a lot of time with my clients on is helping them see that just because that little thought popped up, that's okay. That's part of being a person. But how long you stay caught up in this, you know, you have some... Some choice here.
1: Okay. And the choice would be?
2: Well, how much you fight with it, how much you go over it, how much attention you give it, how real you treat it. And it's interesting because we can treat lots of thoughts as small things. But then with these obsessions, man, they just get caught into them. It's, Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing.
1: Okay. So you break it down in a similar way of our program we listen to about voices. So the first thing is the actual... Um, thought and, and m- maybe even identify, you know, what I'm, af- that I maybe a value even in that, that I'm afraid for my children. And then the second part is this impulse to do something about it. Is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's, it's actually really interesting that you raise the the example of delusions with, with psychosis because the line between a strong obsession and a delusion it can get somewhat blurry.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's the same thing. It's a really difficult image, thought showing up in someone's head. They're trying to figure out what to do with it.
1: Yeah, and so that's when people get into trouble when they when they act on the impulse.
2: When they act on too much.
1: Too much impulse. Okay. <laughs> right. What, what other things are, do you think are interesting about um, this?
2: The, the therapy. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a piece you and I have been talking about on and off, but that in order for them, for, for my clients to be able to have these thoughts, they have to see that it's just a thought. Mm-hmm. It, like if I have a client, uh, what's an, a client I've seen who is afraid if she changes her daughter's diaper, she might accidentally sexually assault her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So then she's not doing it. I see where the concern is, I see where the value is. She just wants to be a great mom and never make any mistakes, right? And this mm-hmm. would be a horrible mistake. So I see how you could get caught into following that. So we do a lot of work helping that client see that, that this is just some chatter your mind is saying at you. And we have to kind of set that up. Otherwise, it's really hard to have that thought there.
1: Yeah. So could could you give an example of how you would do that? You know, with that client,
2: uh, I think an example I might do is, you know, I'd have her close her eyes and and I'd ask her every time I say something, I want you to just not respond to it in your head. Just let it show up. You you hear this these words and do nothing with this. And then I'll say a bunch of things, some of them a little provocative, some of them not.
1: Like what, for example?
2: Well, I might say, uh, you wanna be a good mom. Don't make any mistakes possible you'll make you'll do something wrong and I can just picture in her head how she'll run with these Mm -hmm. and and we're trying to practice in session not running with these thoughts to just have the first thought and not do anything with it and it's hard so we practice in session
1: yeah so how do you know that they don't do that don't run off with it in their head
2: well I don't I don't (laughs) really know but we do it over and over and we talk about it after each Mm -hmm. time and and they can report how well they do or the strategies they're using
1: Okay. So how about somebody who has more behavior, you know, like, you know, checking this, the stove or uh, what about behavior? How do you work then?
2: Well, that's really interesting, too, because we'll work on changing the behavior, but it's not just changing the behavior. It's changing it in the right way.
1: Yeah. So give me an example.
2: Well, uh, another thing we'll say in America is white knuckling, which is like toughing through a situation. Yeah. And I, do, I don't want that. I want someone to openly walk in to be aware of the thoughts and feelings they're having, to, to let them be there, to not fight with them, uh, to see their thoughts as thoughts, to be present. It's, it's how they change the behavior. Mm-hmm. So we we'd spend a lot of time talking about that.
1: So um, it's, a pre- it's a pretty trendy word to use, self-compassion, today. Mm-hmm. Would you say that um, a person needs to treat themselves compassionately and not white-knuckle white themselves through?
2: I think if someone could treat, uh, and I'm going to use the term exposure and maybe we'll get into it, if they could treat the out-of-session exposure, to treat the behavior change as, uh, treat themselves compassionately during it, I think it's going to be much more therapeutic than than sort of toughing their way through it.
1: So, how how would what would be the difference? How would you help somebody be compassionate towards themselves, was while they're standing there outside the door and trying not to check?
2: Yes. <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of pieces. You know, one that's on my mind right now is, you know, giving themselves the time to get better. It's not it's not like I have OCD and then I don't. It's really a a long process of getting there. So if they can you know, make 1% progress, stay in a situation more openly than they did yesterday, even if that's just a little bit more openly, I mean, I think that's awesome. That's a great step that will slowly get you there. Mm -hmm.
1: That that sounds compassionate, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, so we're getting towards the end of the program. I wonder if if we have some listeners here who are uh, either – you know, suffering from OCD themselves or who are family have family members who are suffering, how would you to help them to go from hurt to hope? Hurt to hope.
2: Um, well, if I can be honest, there's, there's a couple parts. One, I'd say, you know, OCD is a treatable thing. So to be aware that there are very good therapists out there and that sometimes you just do need some help with these, these problems. But then I think, if someone's in work or wants to work on it a little bit on their own, there's a there's this idea of just being open, allowing thoughts and feelings to show up, not get entangled with them, and taking small, small steps. I mean, slowly the person will get to where they want to be, and give yourself the time to get there. Mm
1: -hmm. That sounds sounds good. So, if I were to summarize you, um, uh, if if you can get make room for this. Uh, feeling of uncertainty, and and uh, also be aware that you're going to have urges, but also just see them for what they are and try to not give in to them, but to to embrace uh, these things. Would would that be a general advice?
2: That's very good, and I like the use of the word embrace. I think that that's an important distinction between toughing your way through it and and embracing it.
1: That sounds good, Mike. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: Today's program has about been about obsessive and compulsive disorder. Now, we have learned from Dr. Michael Tuiq uh, about that um, obsession in itself is not a problem. Uh, to be uncertain about things and to uh, feel the urges to, to do to try to relieve yourself from this uncertainty is not a problem in itself. It's only when you actually act on these problems in a way that that take up a larger and larger part of your life and get you off track from living the life that you want to live. Dr. Michael Tui is an associate professor at um, the State University of Utah. He's also the author of several books that you can um, Look at um, On his website Uh, His book Act Verbatim for Depression and Anxiety Is a book that we will Have linked there So read more about Mike at his website By clicking his name On webtalkradio.com So thank you for joining us today
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.